doing something special today. Ken, we are going to um, practice a worship song and um, actually do the worship song. Ken's going to lead us in. It's going to be part of what he's also going to do this Sunday. Um, so feel free to introduce that, and why don't you open us in prayer, too, Oh, okay. as you do that. So. Um, so, let's do the prayer first. Dear Heavenly Father, um, let us all do this worship song, and I would like to... Um, I would like you to let Greg really project in our hearts today. And let us understand this word better as we review the chapters 1 through 13 and we share with each other so that we can, we can venture out to other people and spread the good news. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Um, so this song is a song, if you look into the words, you're probably thinking, oh, this guy's like, I understand grammar. Yeah, there's two sides to the first page. Um, when I wrote this song, it was probably like shortly out of high school, and I'm really old. So uh, I recorded on my first album like 25 years later. And I didn't, I left the Catholic Church at that time, and I didn't really understand worship music. So this is more of a song. I call it a worship song, but I would say that it's more of a conviction of me kind of church hopping and trying to find out a little bit more about my life and Jesus. Um, so the blue is where I'm going to have the worship team um, do the background vocals, but if, anybody, but if anybody wants to sing the whole song with me, they're fine. The most important part of this song is the la-la-la's, and that's really where it would really, really help out if you guys, and I'll, I'll go through that real quick, and you can kind of see where I'm, uh, what I'm doing with this, because I'm doing a little bit of chatting right there. Um, so feel free to jump in wherever you want. But the lalas kind of go like this. It's that simple. Just keeps on repeating. And when I get to that part, I'll do it with you before I drop out, and then I'll do something else. Okay? Alright, so this is Let Jesus Be the One. Find time for the right things. Find time for the moon and stars in the spring, summer and fall. You're weary of your future, and you're diminished from your past. The concentrate of living has left Jesus for the last. Say to my friends, why is the speaker? Why is the speaker? Rearrange the time for you and let Jesus be the one. Let Jesus be the one. You always have an answer left for a thought. 
Talking to your best friend who you've always think you got. Who does the Prince of Peace fit into your shattered day? Open up your heart to him, cause that's where he'll stay. Now I say to my friend, why is this begun? Rearrange the time for you and let Jesus be the one. Let Jesus be the Thank you. I mean, they, they speak of 
kind of a, a, a young man's contemporary view of his material life, and mm-hmm. and yet he's yearning for the Lord. Yeah, I I kind of never really knew how about. I never really heard any worship songs back then. I was really young. So I was kind of just speaking like from my heart when I was doing this. Good stuff. Thank you. Okay, so Steve, Andrew, Andrew, Steve. Yes, <laughs> Andrew. We did introductions already, so. <laughs> you bet. Um, all right, so we are going to close off tonight what I would call sort of the narrative section of the Gospel of John. Um, we've gone through chapters 1 through 13. I will say we have not covered the last part of chapter 13, but we'll pick that up when we start 14. So when I say 14 through 17, it's actually going to be like the end part of 13, 14 through 17. Um, and then we, in the last couple of weeks, we actually continued on with the narrative section um, with um, Jesus coming into Jerusalem, the last of Jesus' life, crucifixion, resurrection, and when we actually finish everything with John, we'll cover the very last chapter or so of John. Okay, so I want to, for those of us who've been here at different varying times through all this, um, to just sort of reflect on what have you seen. Um, both maybe what you've seen in John, but is, is there's anything that's impacted you personally too the most about what we've done as we've gone through John? I would love to hear that part too. Um, so we just open with that. Then I can have some questions to guide us as we as we continue. But just I just want to open it up first and just see are there things that you've been thinking through, if you've never read John before, if you've read it before, this time along, you go, wow, I've never seen this stuff before. I know that's true for me a lot. It's like, okay, I've never really studied John. Um, there's a whole lot of things I'm seeing that I go, wow, you know, I've not really picked up on before. Um, so anyway, there you go. Open up to the floor. <laughs> Can you explain what the narrative section what I mean by that? And what happens afterwards? Well, so what I'm saying there is that you end up having, in John, you end up having just all these stories about, you know, from the very beginning. You have the prologue, but then you just start in on the life of Jesus. Um, and what we're doing is we're reading through, we're always just, it's it's what one thing after another about what Jesus is doing, what he's doing, who he's encountering, little small teachings that go in part of that, but it's a, it's a narrative, it's a story. But what I'm saying, and what we're ending up doing, which I never really planned on before, but 14 through 17 is the, is the most concentrated teaching of Jesus, even above the Sermon on the Mount. And I think as opposed to Sermon on the Mount, where you have more of what you'd come across as, um, I mean, I don't want to say, I mean, contrasting the law of Jesus, but how do you live, um, in the Sermon on the Mount with the Old Testament law. So Jesus is saying, I've now fulfilled the Old Testament law. In some ways, the Sermon on the Mount is reflecting that. I think what we're going to find in John 14 through 17 is what I'm going to sort of call the heart of Jesus. I mean, this is when Jesus really, <laughs> it's like if we were to sit there and have this, you know, he came tonight, right, and just decided to do a teaching, not about his, you know, just a teaching with us tonight, 
14 through 17 would be what he would pull from, I think. And we're not going into that yet. Well, no. So what we're going to do is we're going to end tonight, and then when we pick up in two weeks, we're going to start on 14 through 17, and we're going to just focus on 14 through 17 and that body of teaching of Jesus, just all about what Jesus has said. And we're going to focus on that through, let's say, at least the summer, I would say. I'm hoping we get done with that by the end of the summer. So we're going to pick back up almost where we left off. Um, but now we're going to be in this, not in a cycle where it's a bunch of things where Jesus is saying, I'm doing this, I'm doing this, and we're going here, I'm talking to this person. It's just this concentrated teaching of what Jesus has to say to us, what he has to say to the Father. And again, I would say it's going to reveal a lot of the heart of Jesus for us in that section. Does that answer your question? Yeah. Good. <laughs> Good question. Good question. I'd like to uh-huh. share some. Yes. So some of you may know that my brother was killed three weeks ago in a drunk driving accident and you know, obviously our family is devastated by it. <clears throat> so I started knowing that I was gonna do a eulogy <clears throat> I started thinking about death and just tragicness and stuff that happens. And, of course, first place I went to was C.S. Lewis um, and his Grief Observed. I don't know if you guys have read that. It's, it's awesome. But then I remember a time ago that when I was reading about Lazarus, and it depends on the... I can't remember if it was a Greek or if it was the Jewish... Um, interpretation of right after Jesus wept there was a period where Jesus was um, what's the word? Well, he was really troubled? He was troubled. Yeah. But there's another word Deeply moved? Deeply yeah. moved. Yeah. But there's, 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 uh-huh. a, there's a it might be the Greek interpretation where it's almost like that he was mad. Yes. And so, that's, yes. Uh-huh. So, that's the deeply moved part. Yeah. So when I'm Thinking of my eulogy, and I hope you caught this when I was talking about it. You know, he talks about, you know, he is, he is the life, uh, you know, there's no death, death. I, I firmly believe that is a very poignant part where he's really kind of talking about free will because, and, and, and tell me if I'm wrong, but God isn't death. All these tragic things that we happen, if you heard me say, are abuses of free will. So we have everybody, you know. You mean that in other words, yeah. Tragic things that happen to people, you know, my brother being killed, taking his his life taken shortly, or kids who die, you know, when they're, you know, infants, innocent people. Death isn't something that a benevolent God wishes upon any of us. And so I went back, and I, when I was, I was writing my eulogy, I read the story of Lazarus again, and it, it calmed me because I realized that death is of the world. Obviously, we know this, but death didn't take my—I mean, God didn't take my brother. He let him in because my, my brother was a strong Christian. He led him into heaven, and I think it's wrong for people, obviously, to be mad at God or blame God, because it's not, it's the double-edged sword of free will. 
It's an abuse of free will where tragic events happen. And in, in Lazarus, I think that that is... He doesn't you know, descriptively say that, but his actions, you know, it's God. How could he be... He's not troubled. He knows everything that's going on, but he was troubled, and he was pissed in, in, in certain um, Trans- translations. Mm-hmm. So that got me thinking, and it really helped me as I was writing my eulogy to, it sucks what happened, but being more at peace with what happened. So that's all I have to say. Yeah, no, thanks for sharing. In fact, I think you better answered what Tom asked than what I answered Tom. Should I take over? (laughs) (laughs) Which is what you just talked about there was really the heart of God. The heart of Jesus, Correct. See, which is the heart of God, Correct. you see in Jesus. And I think that that's one of the things I'm looking forward to us even seeing more of as we go through 14 through 17. Because it's, it's really what he described there is how does he really feel about us? And to know that we have a God that... And stop blaming God for things that happen. Yeah. It's not, it's not, it's not <laughs> what he wants. It's the, again, it's the double-edged sword free will. Yeah, it's beautiful. I've never thought of it that way. Yeah. Somebody kind of extrapolated on that, what they really mean by the double-edged sword. Well, in C.S. Lewis, and I don't have, it's it, he, he writes that why would God, he calls it automata, and automata is basically people who live mechanically. You know, there's, it's, it's it's why would he create something where he knows the, I'm, 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 I'm not saying it right, but the C.S. Lewis, and I'll look for it, is a beautiful, beautiful representation of what I'm talking about. And it's, again, it's really talking about how he bestowed upon us through his benevolence, free will for us, you know, he gives us, he creates us, and he gave us free will, but it's a double-edged sword. There's good with the bad. And that's the way you need to look at it as opposed to thinking that God took your little girl away or, or your kids or my brother. It's, it's that he allowed it to happen only in the, in the sense that he allowed free will to happen. That's that's the way I, I look at it, and, and it makes sense to me. Yeah, I mean, if if you look, I was just looking up First um, Corinthians fifteen. I mean, free will starting in the garden. First uh, Corinthians fifteen twenty. But Christ has indeed been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. For since death came through a man, and resurrection of the dead comes through a man. For as in Adam all died, so in Christ all will be made alive. But each in turn, Christ the firstfruits, then uh, when he comes, those who belong to him, then the end will come when he hands over the kingdom to God the Father, after he has destroyed all dominion, authority, and power, for he must reign until he has put all enemies under his feet. And this is the verse that I was thinking about when you're speaking, is um, the last enemy to be destroyed is death. So the last enemy to be destroyed is death. And I think 
you know, when when Christ was deeply moved, it's like, look, death death is an enemy, but it was brought about by free will, right? Free will, and you know, the good part of free will is it allows for love, right? This is, it's a huge thing. You can't love without free will. And but free will, God can't give free will and not allow it to be used wrongly, right? That doesn't really go together. So yeah. Well, what verse was that again? That was um, First uh, Corinthians fifteen, and I read like twenty through. 26. I gotta ask the question how does free will I'm gonna look relate it. to an accident? Free, how does, because God, it, it's not about the accident. It, well, it is. It's, yeah, I was going to say, God, 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 free will there, right? Well, the well, free, no, will, free, free will, will is, is, the, drunk is the drunk driver's yeah. bad decision making. Yeah. It's that's what we're everybody. Everybody's born knowing that you're someone's going to outlive their wife. There's a chance that you're going to have kids, and they, that you may lose a kid. You're going to. We all know this. We all know that that there that there's not going to be you know we're not going to my wife and I aren't going to die at the same time unless we're plane crash or something. Nobody we all live this knowing that there's going to be grief. And is it right to blame God for grief? And I think the answer is no. It's not. Grief is is a remnant of free will which He bestowed upon us. But a benevolent God doesn't want to take some, someone's kid away, you know, an innocent kid away or my brother away. It's it's the ramifications of us being granted free will, and that's the double-edged sword. You well, know, you're not seeing it? It's also the ramifications of sin. Yeah. Correct. Uh, Which is because free will is free will. Free will yeah. used wrongly is sin. I can see that. You're, you're not sin, getting it though. Sin in the garden came before pre- death. Mm-hmm. There was no death until they sinned. Well, in fact, I, that's I a got good, it. Can, yeah. I, can I read this? Yeah. This is yeah, from C.S. Yeah. Lewis. Yeah. If a thing is free to be good, it is also free to be bad. And free will is what made evil possible. Why then did God give them free will? Because free will, though it makes evil possible, is also the only thing that makes possible any love or goodness or joy worth having. So, is that grief observed? Is that um, it? it must be because I read it twice oh. after this whole thing. That's awesome. But there's it goes on for that. I, I, I use the word automata, and it's in here. Uh, a world of automata of creatures that work like machines would hardly be worth creating. The happiness which God designs for his higher creatures is the happiness of being freely, voluntarily united to him and to each other in an ecstasy of love and delight compared with which 
the most rapturous love between a man and a woman on this earth is mere milk and water, and for that they must be free. Mere Christianity, actually. Ah. It wasn't. That's in mere Christianity? Yeah. So I think when you think of the free choice, I go back all the way to, to Genesis 2, where the very first thing God says to man that we have recorded is a command, right? So he's created man, and the very first thing he tells them is, you have, you are free. I'm, and I'm interpreting that. I'm using your language. Because what does he say? He says, you are free. <laughs> so he just tells them, tells them, the man in the garden, you are free to eat from any tree of the garden, but you must not eat from the tree of knowledge of good and evil, for on the day you eat from it, you will certainly die. And actually, in the Hebrew, it says, you are you you are free to eat, eat. It, it emphasizes, like, you can eat anything in this garden. It actually uses the word eat twice to emphasize it's all yours. But if you do eat the thing you're not supposed to, then you're going to not certainly die, you're going to die-die. <laughs> so there's this contrast. Like if you choose the way of God through your freedom, you'll get all this blessing. But if you don't, you will get death. Now, and time, so there's a free choice. Right, now, right time, at the very beginning. Times that by 8 billion people. Yeah, well, right. Right? Over Correct. Long that's Correct. That's where chaos comes in. Chaos comes in and it takes your brother away. It, it does things, but it's not... I don't think... That God did not want this to happen. He knew it was going to happen. I mean, I, I have a hard time, you know, thinking about that one. But, again, he bestowed upon us by his love, free will. Chapter 2, uh, verse 2, right there, right there, it says it right there. So, that to me is, is how... It kind of rationalize this whole experience and realizing that it's, you know, there's no point to be mad or angry at God. It's not, it's not what he does. Yeah. Am I right? Uh, I think you express it very well. Okay. Yeah. Thank in you. In a real, in a real situation. For sharing, uh, yeah. you know, from the sacredness of your brother, your dear brother's eulogy, those thoughts that you would have about your brother. And to say death isn't God, death is Abuse of free will. That is so uh, profound to me uh, for various reasons. But uh, especially when the enemy, you know, tries to get in there. Your brother's driving and he, he attacks in a situation uh, and creates a savagery on your family. Correct. And um, for you to share the, your peace and your love with us and your understanding of the Lord and his word, I, I find that very well, moving. Well, thank you. But I, I got to tell you, it, it was... I've never had anything like this. I've never had a tragedy in the family. Everybody dies the right way. Grandma's, you know, old, old people die. Old, old people die. <laughs> this is the first time it's, it's it's happened. And back to C.S. Lewis, and he, and you know, he married somebody that knew he was going to die, but still he had all this grief, and he was questioning his Christianity at the time, and he was it was a very scathing, you know. Uh, Diary, because that's what it really was. It was a daily diary of his going through grief. And 
you know, reading that, it just kind of got my mind going and then leads to the nice thought of Lazarus. I remember that. He was, why would, why is Jesus weeping? You know, why would someone who knows everything weep? It's because he's, he's showing us right now that, that the evil, evil lurks and he wants to rid us from that. And, and it sucks. It was his friend that died and, you know, he knows everything, but still, He's mad at the fact that that death's an option, I guess, for like like a better way of saying it. So. I mean, one of the themes when we think about John, the themes, one of the themes we keep seeing over and over again is that Jesus has come to give us life, life, life everlasting, but abundant life. It's all in contrast between trying to restore what happened in the garden. He's trying to say, I want to, I'm going to, we're going to get rid of death and I'm going to bring back life. But that life is going to be eternal, the way it was originally supposed to be. Now, how is he going to do that? With his own death. Yeah. Yeah. With his own yeah, death, with his own suffering. Not only the suffering from the cross, that's a physical thing. Mm-hmm. Other people have experienced that. Right. But what no one else has experienced is being a perfect being and taking on the entirety of the sins of the world. He's yeah. trying to afflict us to perfection. <laughs> yeah, so so he so he entered into our suffering. It's not like he's unfamiliar, and that is the most costly. That is the most costly thing for him to have done. Yeah, he's also staying in the moment by being all things to all people, and that's an incredible thing. And you yeah. you just showed us some of that. Yeah, yeah, thank you, yeah, thank you, thank you. yeah, Aaron. <clears throat> I had a a different experience uh, flying combat off a carrier in Vietnam. Um, 23 pilots died off of our ship. Only one was shot down. The rest were just accidents. On the ship? Landing? Around the ship, airplanes took off and never came back. Nobody knew whatever happened. Flying into the water behind the ship on a dark night. Um, and so... Well, that's interesting. 23 died that way, but only one died. Only one was shot down. The rest were just accidents. Wow. And so... Um, how many pilots? Total Well, some airplanes had two, some had one, you know, so the air wing probably had uh, 20, 40, 60, 80, maybe 120, 130 pilots. Pretty crew, crew members. Pretty high percentage. Yeah. And so what happened? with me was why them and why not me? That was the first thought. And so um, with time I came to get closer to God because he had given me the grace of life. And that gift meant more to me because he chose to keep me going. And so, um, it gave me more direction when I came home to try and live my life as a monument to those who didn't come back, mm-hmm. especially the ones that were close to me. I would, Im- I would imagine that a lot of people even... Christians on your on your boat were thinking like, thanks God, thanks yeah, God. yeah, you know, and so that's not the right way. What what, hap- what happened for me was is that 
I submitted myself totally to God's grace. And I was willing to accept whatever happened. Because God's in control and my job was to show up the best that I could. And um, He's got something else for you to do in life. And that, that worked. That worked for me because now I had a mission. And the mission came out of someone else's tragedy. So it's um it's it's funny. I said the exact same thing in my eulogy, how my my reaffirmed faith mm-hmm. in God, you know, after decades of distraction, it mm-hmm. was the only reason that was helping yeah. myself and my family. I mean, after everything that. is said and done, that brings you right to the core of your walk, right? And the core of the walk is acceptance of Jesus Christ in our life, and He's in control, and He's our Lord and Savior, and our job is to do the best that we can and get on down the road and let let what happened go. So one of the things I I reflected on was, you know, they talked about the five stages of grief, uh, denial, anger, bargaining, depression, and finally acceptance. And so what this tells me is, is that God gave us senses and a process to walk through it. And it gives us permission to be angry. <laughs> and it gives us permission to try and bargain. But after everything is said and done, the last stage is always acceptance. And I think it's acceptance of thy will be done. Thy will will be done. Not my will, not anybody else, not Satan's will, but thy will be done. So, all of the questions, did God allow Satan to do this, or is it part of his bigger story? I could never answer that question. Well, let me ask you this. So, was that your first exposure to a huge tragedy that situation there how, how did you act because I'm sure you saw more after that uh, well uh, I think when you go through training some students died and you knew the students yeah. and you start to say you know hey maybe this is dangerous <laughs> and so um, it starts you to think about it and um, and so, in a, in a way, thank you, Lord, for choosing me. That you're allowing me to come back. And so, my job is to find out my mission in allowing me to come back and what work I can do for Him. Yeah, thank you. All right, others as far as things you saw in John. We're going to start it out. <laughs> Real life. <A> happy note. <laughs> yeah, no, no, I mean, it's, yeah, Pete. So one of the things I noticed this time that I hadn't necessarily noticed before was um, was was the theme of uh, witnesses throughout mm. the whole thing. There's witnesses, like, from the beginning with John Baptist or, or maybe before that, and then at the end, the, you know, witnesses condemning him or, you know, the witnesses for... <coughs> 
you know, proving who he was. Yeah. Can you think of so think of what those witnesses are that you that we've encountered so far, John? Because we're gonna we're going to encounter more as we get into fourteen through seventeen. Yeah. So, so John, John the Baptist, Baptist, the Father. Yeah. The Scriptures. Mm-hmm, good. His miracles. Um, <laughs> yeah, then the, the, I would assume. Would like you say Jason? <laughs> He's saying the prophets, but I would lump that in with like the scripture. Uh, right. Yeah. Um, I think maybe one, one more. Disciples. It's going. It's going to be. Yeah. It's not yet. Yeah. We're going to see two other ones, which are the, the disciples, and what else? Father. Yeah. What else are we going to see? If you guys think of as we went fourteen through seventeen, what other witness is going to be huge? It's going to come up. Anybody want to any thoughts? We've had the Father and we've had the Son. But but he does say that he 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 is a legitimate witness of himself. Uh huh. Yes. But he, yeah. Even if he doesn't invoke that. And, he, and his the words he's speaking. Yeah. 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 Themselves. Exactly. Yeah. But yeah, so you can separate those the scriptures being the Old Testament then. And in other words, he's saying right now, witness himself. Yeah. I want to say one more thing, and it's 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 kind of funny, but it's it's not. But if you guys remember when we all went around the room and we judged our oh. our, our our stress level one to, one to ten, and I arrogantly said a two. Yes, you did. And then I, then I said, <laughs> but it's coming, and it did. Hugger, bugger. It did. I, I won't be asking that question. No. Again, I don't think. no. <laughs> I remember you were sitting right over there. Right, and I right remember. There. Yeah. 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 So. You just never know. Never know. Okay. Any given day. Yeah. yeah. Thank you, Sharon. Glad you're here. Thank you. Yeah. Glad I got you. Definitely. How's your How's your wife? Can I? How's she, how's she doing? Yes. Oh, she's great. She's great. Yeah. That's my mom. That's the problem. It's a, yeah. Okay. So you pray for your mom. Yeah. All right. Um, others, what did you see in John? What have you? What things have stuck, stood out to you? And Andrew, if you've read it or you've even gone through John, feel free. I mean, <laughs> um, witnesses. That's good. I'm glad you said that. You that was actually one for me too. I don't think I've seen so much of that before. Yes. Um, what occurs to me is is that um, his walk was very definitive and very powerful. And so many people couldn't get to 100% belief and kept doubting and doubting and, mm-hmm. and the progression of things where he would be at the right place and say the right thing and just reaffirm their opportunity to get it, but yet still didn't get it, but yet the story continued to unfold Mm -hmm. with power and authority and progression, regardless of how people were reacting Mm. to him. Mm. Yeah. That was his mission. He had a mission to get through it. He did. Yeah. One thing that I've been thinking about um, 
you know, I had a chance to go back and do chapters 1 through 8 today. That's mm-hmm. in one sitting. I know you were saying 1 through 13. Well, I did 1 yeah, through 8. Hey, you know, I, didn't, didn't really there. <laughs> I made it to 3. <laughs> three. Okay. Good work. Good work. Um, but what was really interesting to me was some of the notes that I took and mm-hmm. the rehashing of months and months and months ago what was going on in, in, in my life uh, as we were going through this. And one thing that struck me... I remember sitting there, Dale was sitting there, like you always do, that's why you're sitting there, but you talk about identity, and we were talking about identity, mm. and, um, you know, you were a believer, you were uh, Marilyn's husband, you were a father, you were a grandfather, you were a teacher, you were a uh, gardener, you were, you know, all those things, and, and um, you know, it's, it's something my wife and I talk about quite a bit, is who are we? Um, you know, what, what is our identity in, in God's kingdom? And it's something I've been thinking about every day, whether consciously or subconsciously. Um, am I, you know, I'm a father, I'm a, I'm a husband, I'm a son, I'm a brother, an uncle, a friend, a coworker. Um, I'm blue collar, I've got Midwestern values, I'm loyal, uh, I'm a provider. Um, but what am I today and what do I want to be today? And that's kind of, been a theme that I've been thinking about ever since uh, Dale brought it up. Like that. So, thank you, Dale. For me, I'm going through this. It's not what I've seen that's different. Um, it's it's an old problem with me going through the New Testament. And it's I think that I would be different than the disciples. But I know I wouldn't. You know, they see all these things, they walk with him, they do all these things, they witness, not just once, but time after time after time. And when he dies, they all run away. They just go, no, I would stay. I would would be there. But... It's funny that you say that, because I just... I'm sorry, but... But do you know how... They all died. Yeah, they all martyred. All but, so all but a, one. There's there's a book recently out by uh, Sean McDowell, who's the son of Josh McDowell, who's kind of a famous apologist. Right. He did his PhD thesis on the fate of the apostles. Oh, I think only he, one died naturally. The others mm-hmm. were dragged behind horses or or burned. Or, yeah, he, huh? he, he took like, a really deep historical look at it and. Um, the probability of them being martyred. Yeah. And six of the 12 had a, a, you know, highly probable or probable that they were, that they were martyred. And he goes through the evidence, like the historical evidence, documentation, early church traditions and things like that. So at least half of them, right? And then there's only a couple that are, that are, um, that are not probable, right? Like like John, um, and and maybe one other, and and then there's a few that there's just not not much information, mm-hmm. not much historical fact, and it's like as plausible as not, basically. But, oh, that's but, but you're you're getting to the point where you and I've said this too. Maybe a, a bit of a doubting Thomas. Is that what you're saying? Well, I, if you were back, if you were one of them, que- I think it was asked here. You know, if you could go back. In time, where would you go to? Yeah, right. in the, uh-huh. you know, and but are you? They saying all it? they all made a change, right? When he walked, 
But to your point, I think a lot of them felt let down when he died. Yeah. They were, they the wanted a reason, leader. The whole reason why we're here is because he, the resurrection's <laughs> yeah. the only reason why There's we're no here. other reason to be here. And my point is, is they martyred themselves. From what I read, I don't, I don't know how accurate it was. It was on Google, so. <laughs> <laughs> but it's almost, it's like, it's almost like they were willing to, I mean, I'm sure they put up a little bit of a fight, but they kept, kept doing what they were still told not to do, and they sure. willingly died. Sure. After what they saw, right. so right, which is which is a distinction from us. There would be a, there would be a big difference between us being willing to die as a martyr or them. Well, they had firsthand knowledge. They had firsthand knowledge, so we have secondhand knowledge. So you know, like we're more faithful than they are. If you think about it, right? <laughs> we have to be. Well, 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 so, well yeah, yeah. I mean, it's just, or it's more, just more blessed it's because just remember that's what said Jeff quoted that scripture, yeah. you know, in John from the where, doubting tongues. Yeah, where blessed are those who didn't. Yeah, blessed are those who didn't us feel who are, right. Yeah, the scars. Yeah, had it been a conspiracy or something like that, you figure one of them would have cracked under the pressure or wouldn't, you know, what was the upside? Kind of like all the wealth and the riches that they had, or, right? <laughs> yeah, it was like there's, there's a lot of, you know, a lot of suffering and martyrdom and not wealth, uh, that they, that they went through for what they had direct first-hand knowledge of, mm-hmm. which is a powerful apologetic for the truth of Christianity, a truth of the appearance of the resurrected Christ, because ultimately that was the foundation of Christianity, is the resurrected Christ, like you said. I believe some of them were even given, again, this is on Google, you, if, you, if you disclaim your allegiance to God, will let you go, and they did. Yeah, yes, So yeah, for sure. That's, yep. you know... It's, you know, all you need to do is say, you know, this, this, and that, and, you know, they wouldn't do it. Yeah. yeah. All right, good. But, um, was that you doing, Jason, or are you just, like, sort of going like this? I, no, just moving my hands. Okay. <laughs> all right. I'm not sure why. I'll go. Yes. Yeah, Tom. Um, uh, John's, you know, kind of the most, the, the deepest thinker, I think, of the apostles. And, I mean, he says so many things that are mysterious to me. Mm-hmm. And he's often talking about the Lord, uh, God, and I'm saying what the Lord, what God told me to do, and he just dwells on this. He keeps it, repeating it, and it's like, what's the big deal about I'm, If he says it once, that would be enough. But he keeps, he, he wants us to know about that relationship and about his errand, and he wants, I think, he has uh, a lot of. Um, he has a lot in chapter eight, and I, I just marked them uh, about how we are a minority here on earth. And I, I was grown up. I grew up in a contrarian like family. My mom and dad were contrarian, and it and it infused in me. So whenever the press said something or the government said something, I just said they're lying. And. <laughs> And I still do that, and I think it's it's good and it's bad. But the gospel and what Jesus is saying in chapter eight appeals to a mind like that because he's saying you are a very small minority, and the earth, the whole earth, is evil. Mm-hmm. And I'm coming from heaven with the light, and you're rejecting it so much so that you're going to kill me. 
So with that with that thought in mind, let me read a few verses. Yeah, yeah, just, yeah. And just think about that, how we are, <laughs> in a humorous sense, do you remember John Wayne movies? He'd call people he didn't care for pilgrim. He'd be pilgrim. And you think, well, that's kind of demeaning. It was. But a pilgrim is a Christian. Think of pilgrim's progress. We're, we, are all, we are pilgrims, we all in this room. We are sojourners briefly on the earth. And we're on our way to heaven. We're not, we're not grasping the earth saying, this is mine and I, I cling to life. I'm not, we're not clinging to life because we're pilgrims. We're just passing through. So, so think about all the people who aren't pilgrims. Think of all those who Jesus is talking to in these verses, okay? From chapter 8, verse 19. You neither know me nor my father. He's talking to the crowd, the, the religious leaders. If you had known me, you should have known my father also. So everybody on the earth, they don't know anything. They don't know. I go my way and you shall seek me and you, you shall die in your sins. So in other words, he's condemning them all. He says, you folks are going to die with your sins. They're going to hell. They're the majority. You are from beneath, I am from above. You are of this world, I am not of this world. He's saying everyone on earth is from beneath, from hell. I said therefore unto you that you shall die in your sins. For if you believe not that I am me, you shall die in your sins. Verse 32. And you shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. So he's saying, you know, I'm, well, you know what he's saying. Verily, verily, verse 34, I say unto you, whosoever committeth sin is the servant of sin. Everyone on earth is committing sin. Everyone on earth is the servant of sin. It's just like a foreign land. I just, you know, I get the feeling when I read this stuff from John, it's how, how rare we are. Because Jesus is just broad brushing the whole earth. I speak that which I have seen with my father, and you do that which you have seen with your father. Mankind is of Satan, he's saying in that verse. Verse 40, But now you seek to kill me, a man that has told you the truth, which I have heard of God. This did not Abraham do. Verse 42, almost done. If God were your father, you would love me, for I proceeded forth and came from God. Neither came I of myself, but he sent me. So think of just the beauty and the purity and the honor and the perfection of this God coming, and he's, he's speaking this to filthy, evil people. I mean, folks like us, I mean, we have an open heart. Or something God gave us the gift of grace, and we, we can accept this as truth. But very few do. Why do you not understand my speech? Even because you cannot hear my word. You don't understand, you cannot hear. But he's come down to tell them anyway. He, didn't, he knew that they weren't going to accept him, but he came anyway. That's amazing. You know, you think of a hostile crowd. Why go to a hostile crowd if you know the hostile crowd's going to reject you? He did it anyway. That's love. Verse 44, you are of your father the devil, and the lust of your father will ye do. He was a murderer from the beginning. Think of the earth now. Who's running the earth? Satan's running the earth right now. God's told us many times. He's describing what it's, what earth, the character of earth is right here. Those on earth, you of your father the devil. Think of all the 
are political leaders. Hollywood. You're of your father the devil, and the lust of your father will you do. He was a murderer from the beginning, and abode not in the truth, because there is no truth in him. When he speaketh a lie, he speaketh of his own, for he is a liar and the father of it. <laughs> I just think of being a contrarian. <laughs> I mean, if, if everything you're listening to from the establishment is a lie, according to Jesus, then you're you're pretty wise to be a contrarian, at least be, at least doubt it. And because I tell you the truth, ye believe me not. That's an interesting sentence. Because he's telling them the truth, they don't believe him. So that means they knew, they know he's telling them the truth. And they willingly don't want it. Which of you convince me of sin? And if I say the truth, why do you not believe me? And then he tells us how it works. He that is of God, hears God's word. So, it's predestination or something. He that is of God, hears God's word. God's word. You therefore hear them not, you people, because you are not of God. That's all. That's a lot for chapter 8. <laughs> the short version of that is uh, John 3.19. And this is the judgment. The light has come into the world, and the people love the darkness rather than the light because of their, their works were evil. Yeah, that, I think it's the strongest verse in John. And he says it so calmly. He's, he's saying it like James Bond. Because <laughs> if That's I got near it, he'd be, I would be screaming or something. The normal guy, if, to have that information and try and communicate it. But he's just, Yeah, it would have been interesting to hear, hear him actually, the tone of how he was communicating it. That's yeah. interesting that you, you say that. These whole passages to me, and it's just ironic how religion gets such a bad name, and Jesus was so not religious. He wasn't, he didn't preach like the guy on TV. He did it very subtly. And, if, and my whole thing about all of these passages here is how he was so not religious at all. He was the, the antithesis of religion. In fact, too, he's talking against them, that he these verses. But we get, but, ultimately the religious but authorities. in you we talk about how we're, we're a minute amount, you know, people that are that are believers. The number one argument for atheism is looking at other Christians. So I just lost my phone. I had it right there. That he was a regular guy. He, yeah, I mean, he just he just wasn't he wasn't religious at all. The the the, the whole the Pharisees, that whole thing is he was trying to break down and, you know, and, and religion gets such a bad name today and it's so not what it's about. So it's you about wonder if, if those atheists who are rejecting Christianity because they see lousy Christians, is that what you're going to say? Maybe those lousy Christians aren't really Christian. That's the point. I mean, we're talking minority now shrank a whole lot more. We're correct. The narrow road. 
And it's convicting when I think of that, because I'm often a lousy Christian. We all are. But the point is, is that we all we're, all, can be. we're all aspirational to, to the truth. The dichotomy is his power came through his humility. And the world looks at humility as weakness, but he showed it as power. It wasn't preaching. I don't. I don't think he was preaching. No. no. Preaching is so bad. <laughs> <laughs> All right. How about others? Others, as far as John, anything? Um, we, know, just, we know what Ken's is going to be, so we don't really have to make a deal. You know, I'm going to every time now. I don't know. It's so funny, and I don't tease you about it. So hopefully, you've taken that in jest. But it is just um, every time I read about Nicodemus now, I just think of you. It is interesting, though, how Jesus says these things in John about you know going back and being reborn, and how could you be? How did the responses back to him? I find that. Interested, interesting. I was, I was reading today. Um, it's like how he, he comes back and he talks to people, and it's also too interesting how what I'm trying to understand is how the Jews or the Pharisees felt that um, he was kind of doing wrong kind of like they were kind of like it was in chapter was this happened chapter 8 or 9 I was reading today where they were like talking why don't the Roman officers come and arrest him you know it was kind of like I feel like this if this man was walking on earth today and maybe the Catholic Church would be against him because they just wouldn't believe it was him or the government was against him um And I was, I actually am, I do the Daily Bible, so I was in Luke today, and it was talking, I'm, just, I'm all over the place, but it was talking about, like, how, you know, how great it is to just leave your families, everybody, and just walk with Jesus. And so, I, I guess what's interesting to me in John's, in John's uh, gospel about him walking on earth with all these criticisms and things that are happening to him, who would walk with him today? You know, it's like, I mean, I remember when I was young, I would leave sometimes for, you know, two or three weeks and leave for my family, and I just always thought to myself, I don't know if I could just live a life like this, you know, I really like being with my family, I really makes me feel good, I don't, and if he was here today and he told me, hey, Ken, you know, just walk out of your office and drop everything, go play music with me, and it's just... When the government was after maybe the Catholic Church, or, you know, would I do it? Well, you're saying that this person is Christ. Yeah, he's saying this is really, if I, really Christ. This is yeah. Christ. Yeah, I mean, so of course I would do it. Yeah. I mean, yeah, of course we would do it. But, you know, like I said... Um, it would be, be much easier to do it today than it was then. Yeah. It would be easier today? Yeah. I think so. Oh, I don't. Oh, I don't. With more followers. People, I think more people believe than they did back then. I mean, back then they, were, they, they, were had, really a, they had a, a rabbinic system, and, and there'd be rabbis, te- they'd be itinerant like Jesus, and they would uh, 
teach, and they would have disciples. And he was just another teacher who gathered disciples, following them around. When he went into town, people in, you know, Nazareth or something, went, oh, it's Jesus uh, with his disciples. We just had another prophet come through with his disciples last year. That, that happened. It doesn't happen in this culture. But it was there was consequences to be with Jesus, to walk with Jesus. Then? Then, yeah. I mean, there was consequences in terms of you know, they might get put in jail, or they might get hurt. Mm, not, not until the last day. The, the Romans day. were tough. They weren't persecuted until the very last day. Yeah. And it's interesting. Yeah, even wouldn't... when they went to the garden, yeah. they didn't take any of the disciples. I know, and that's why I thought Jesus actually said, don't take them. I thought those, I never saw this before, but when we just read yeah. that scene, I never saw before that Jesus actually, I don't know how he says, he basically says, take me, not them. Well, the leaders weren't after. Yeah, they were, after. Well, they were after him. Yeah. But they could have. If you think about it, it's like, well, let's take his followers too. But then, why did Peter didn't deny him? Then why why did why did they why did they deny Jesus if they weren't scared? No, I well, said they, until the last day. Oh, the yeah, last yeah, day okay. was. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. They were on a burner. You know, they were all <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah, scared they to death, and the establishment was after them, and they were afraid of dying. It's, there's a lot of heroes today in life that, you know, do things, they take their lives to save other people, and so I'm sure that if we knew that he was here today, I'm sure there would be a lot of people that would step up to the plate. I just find it really interesting that he did that whole walk and encountered people and was pretty much walking into fire, you know, with the Roman government and the Pharisees and the people just... And I find that people who would walk with him um, were not afraid. And I'm just wondering today if people, how they, how would they react to, to somebody like that? Who, a person who's just here on earth for maybe 30 years. Alright, others. Anybody else as far as... I thought one of the most interesting uh-huh. sessions we had when we talked about the non-believers cannot hear the word. Believers can hear the word. Mm-hmm. That was, I never thought about it that way before. They can't hear the word because they don't believe the word. Uh-huh. So that's... What hit you about that? What was the... Uh... Well, I just never heard it presented that way. You know, from hearing the word. Mm-hmm. You know? You, you think they would say, I just didn't understand. Yeah, but the key to understand. I heard, the, I, I heard what you're saying, I just don't understand why you believe that. Uh-huh. Yeah. Hearing the word is sort of a vague expression. Right. Not just down to the details. The interesting thing is in Hebrew and in the Greek, but in Hebrew <clears> particularly, the word hear, hear, O Israel, the Lord is your God, love the Lord your God, that hear in Hebrew means obey. It means, it, 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 the assumption is hear, obey. Hear, obey. <laughs> I mean, there's no distinction, there's no such thing in the Hebrew language when you say the word hear, that it doesn't also mean that means you obey. Uh, where for us, we don't do that. That didn't come one, up in our session. Huh? I don't remember that part. Yeah, we might not have. But, I, I mean, that's, it's, that that's what's interesting. He, so what I was, what like, one of the big places is uh, Matthew, the good soil parable where you've got the four soils. And what's fascinating is they all hear God's word. So 
Jesus says in the parable, every one of them heard the word. It's only one of them that ends up producing fruit. Um, and that one is the one who, Isaiah 6, <laughs> the one who understands the word. Yeah. Yeah. So it, it's just like you know, anything else. You can hear a bunch of stuff, but does it do anything? What occurs to me is, is we are on information overload all the time. Mm-hmm. There's so much information. So much hearing. So many, <laughs> so many directions that it's so easy to be diluted. But I think the Christian walk is, is that you purposely take time to be in the Word and to learn and to walk the path and rather than being pushed aside by all the information coming at us all the time. That that choice to take the time and to be in it and to strengthen your walk and um, that that for me is, is the biggest thing because the world offers so many distractions and so many better things that appear better that really aren't. <laughs> and so just taking the time and getting your priorities straight just with how you use your time is probably really critical. Well, and yet you can't tell the counterfeit unless you know what the real one looks like. <laughs> yeah. and, I mean, it's just, it's, it is, it shouldn't have shocked me, but it's shocking the polls that they do these days. Oh, yeah. Reputable polls from, like, Barna, where they're interviewing, where they're asking questions to evangelical Christians. So, in other words, us. Okay, I mean the crowd that claims to be in the Bible, and 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 you hear the questions asked, and how very little biblical knowledge they have, and how that's translated into just really bad theology, where they're just literally saying, you know, like, yeah, I mean it doesn't matter. You can believe in whatever you want to believe. Everyone's going to have it anyway. You think not? Maybe a non-believer would say that. Maybe. <laughs> yeah, non-evangelical Christian or something, but to say those types of things because again we haven't stayed in mm-hmm. this to know what is real. You know, that's yeah. why we do what we do up here, right? Ask your college <laughs> student who George Washington was, and they won't be able to answer yeah. these days. All right, others. So um, a key yeah. to what you just said. Um, he says uh, salvation is from the Jews, mm-hmm. and. The idea that it's not just about being good, it's not about works, it's not about being part of some group, any group, mm-hmm. but salvation is from the Jews. And for some reason that just really, uh, the line of David, ultimately Jesus, but um, salvation is from Christ. But the idea that it's from this lineage, mm-hmm. when we think about it, it's it's fascinating. And um, from overall what we've done so far... Uh, Connecting to what Peter has said, uh, you know, with the the elements of various witnesses, um, but also how Jeff on Sunday has said uh, there's this uh, old word, Greek word, that it's very common in parlance now is, is meta, metaverse, but meta, uh, and how Jeff has been talking about Einstein and bending light. I don't understand that stuff, but if this array of light from the sun and how they would understand it's bending or what he said yesterday from the podium or Sunday on the podium, how the components of mass will could pass through the, the, the podium. These things are 
incredible when they start coming together. In the first three sentences of John, I was talking about this other concept that I struggle with, logos. In the beginning was the word, the word was with God, and how it's talking about that, the word. Uh, it seems to me that the metaverse is like in this book. It's kind of like techie for this word that we use, high tech. And it's not old and dusty. It's reaching out to just this infinity in who Jesus is. And uh, as he reveals himself in relationship to people, and uh, he says something, it seems kind of older, like salvation. Eternity is from the Jews. It's, it's from the Jewish, this Jewish lineage, which would seem like kind of dusty and Israeli and goes over there, old place. And then he talks about all these other things. Uh, where it's just like this expanse, almost it's all, like... It's all connected. Yes. Yeah. It's, it, to me, it's like it's alive. Mm-hmm. If, if you read the first three verses, in the beginning was the Word, the Word was with... And you kind of go over that, I'm like, these things are like living concepts. And it's kind of, I'm getting it, but I'm not getting it. I'm seeking it. It just seems like it's living and breathing. It says that about itself, but mm-hmm. it seems alive. It, I don't know, is that the Holy Spirit of God, kind of? Working in you. <laughs> well, working in me, yeah. yeah but, but I mean, I, like, I, I was... It had, is what the Holy Spirit? Is that the well, Holy you know, it, when, it so when you're reading the text, it's, it becomes living. And it does mm-hmm. stir us. And that, that, that is, is the, the Holy Spirit. Spirit. That is the yes. witness of the Spirit. Mm-hmm. Yes, that's exactly what it is. That, yeah. that, that's what he says. This word will judge you. This word will mm-hmm. convict you. And the elements that you were talking about, Peter, you know, just these, you call the witnesses, these various things coming together, all of it are various pieces of something. Well, and part of that witness is witness you're talking about right now. It's yeah. a witness of the Spirit as you're reading the Word, convicting you. And, I mean, as Tom read John 8, it's like, this is convicting. Mm. You know, which side are you on? <laughs> you don't get a gray area. It's like, you're either with him or you're not. Yes. Um if you're not with him, you're with the devil. There's not like any gray area, like there's a sin between. And until we get that understanding, we're basically with the devil anyway. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Which is a gift that we, that's where we start. Which comes to what David said, which is hearing, right? It's what, it's, it's, um, Tom's favorite passage. Which is what, Tom? Romans 2. Which is. <laughs> I know, I'm going to get it now, because I was just going to... Um, if you believe in your heart that Jesus is Lord and confess with your lips that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Yeah, yeah. Romans yeah. 10, man. Yeah. But you brought up bending of light, and the analogy he was using is it passes through different medium that changes. Okay, and it's really refraction. That's what that is. It's, you think of bending, you think of bending, but what he's talking about, hitting something and bouncing, changes the direction, because you can't bend light. It's refraction. It's refraction. Yeah. Light only bends through uh, gravitational means. Yes. Yeah. All right, anyone else as far as, yeah, Jason? Two, two things. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, it's very difficult to narrow it down, but things that just kind of... We'll give you two. (laughs) 
Appreciate that. Um, Just like main like themes, things that really have hit you as you go through it. The themes, well, I'll say this this one, the second one is the more sort of thing that really touched my <clears throat> face. That I've read multiple times, but it really just kind of hit me more through this movement through it. Um, but one of the things here that when he's speaking with the woman of the well, uh, and he says to her that uh, God is spirit, and those who worship him must worship him in spirit and truth. So say that must. 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 Hmm. No see, it, see it, the world. <laughs> we are sojourners. None of the things of the flesh, you don't, they just don't count. If you want to worship the Father, it, there's only one way to do it. That's what he was trying to tell the Pharisees and, and the Jews. Guys, you're, you're missing the whole crux of this deal. And then, what really struck me was, hold on, um, and one, um, 35, this is fascinating to me, that the, it's, the little heading here is Jesus calls the first disciples. So, and what we know, having read, as you read through this, he reiterates that over and over, I've chosen you, mm-hmm. right? And so... John and um, and that's radical again remember he chose them yes that's not usually what happened to disciples in that day that's the difference that Jesus did that's right the rabbi did not go and choose disciples disciples chose to follow the rabbi that's right yeah so so that's what makes this so fascinating so the next day again John was standing with two of his disciples John the Baptist that is and he looked at Jesus as he as he walked by and said, Behold, the Lamb of God. The two disciples, the two disciples, heard him say this, and they followed Jesus. Bye. Jesus turned. Okay, so I've done some little research on this. So the, the idea that they would just be following him in sort of a, a, a humble posture, like what traditionally... Just a wanton disciple would do with a teacher, right? And um, so they were kind of behind. Jesus knew they were. Jesus turned. That's awesome. And saw them following and said to them, What are you seeking? Those are the first words that Jesus utters. Oh, it's saying, uh, uh-huh. That we know of. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. In John. Yeah, In John, uh-huh. yeah. Mm-hmm. What are you seeking? And it just hit me. It was like, this is the question we should all be asking ourselves every day, all day long. What are we seeking? And and 
the truth of it is, if we break it down, get really very, very real with ourselves, we are seeking to be in love above all other things. And that is what they were seeking. And he knew that. And they said to him, Rabbi, where are you... And which, by the way, that was interesting, that means teacher, but that was a new term that hadn't been around for very long at that point. And he he later is like, no, don't call me that. It's interesting. Where are you staying? Which is to say, we just want to be with you. And do you remember what the word staying is? Anybody remember that? What? Abide. Very good, Tom. Mm -hmm. That word is abide, which is going to be a theme that's going to go all the way through John. The dude abides. Yeah. Abide. So he's like, in other words, where where are you going to, where are you abiding? Which is, are you abiding in me or? (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. And said to them, come and you will see. Invitation to all of us, isn't it? And you will see. So they came and saw where he was staying. And they stayed with him. It says that day, for it was about the tenth hour. But in reality, they stayed with him for all eternity. Hmm. That's good. Good, thank you. All right, anybody else? I like the phrase, these truths are self-evident. But the other thing, truly, truly, truly. He <laughs> says that every time. Oh, yeah. Every time I love. A thought for Brent. Um, where are you as the speaker? Where are you sitting again? Where are you what? I'm well, oh, sorry. Where are you in your anxiety level? Uh, as a speaker for your brother? You were pretty low last time, remember? Am I what? Can you and I were pretty low. Oh. Anxiety levels. Oh, exactly. I I was a two. You were a two. I think I might have even said a one. Yeah. Okay. So, as a speaker for your brother. That's a great question. And when is this? You haven't had it yet. Or you have had it. The ceremony? Yeah. Oh, that was last, last month. Okay. okay. Oh, you did? Yeah. So, he's already had the ceremony. What were you then? Yeah. (laughs) But I got to tell you, going through the whole, I was at a 10 when I got the call and then I started my mind just started going and I started you know went back to reading C.S. Lewis and I started my mind just kind of came down I'm, I'm not you know I'm not anywhere near a 9 or a 10 at this point I'm, I'm calm and it's weird that I'm saying that I mean it sucks how long, how long has it been? 3 weeks yeah but um the whole thing that we were talking about is like a sense of 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 ease that, that that kind of permeated my whole body after that, realizing that you know I'm not I'm not even mad at the girl who did this. It's just it's I I, I don't know how to answer that, but I'm we're, no, nobody is upset and no there's no the grief is more we're above. I'm sure you know Christmas comes around and our first you know. They will be sad, but my point of this whole thing was is it was a very calming thing for me to to, to go through this and, okay. and 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 do my eulogy and with all this stuff that, that I was talking about. So 
Okay. I'm below five. Yeah. I think I told everybody I was a one or two or three, something like that also. But I think I also told you guys that my mother-in-law died uh, in December, and I was chosen to get a eulogy. And they said, well, what, what am I going to say? What am I going to say? And finally, I thought about it. I didn't write anything down. And I got to the church, and I said, what would she have wanted to say to the church, to her, mm. or to her cousins, to her nephews, or her grandchildren? And that, that sort of lowered the anxiety from 10 down to 8 or 7. And I also told you guys, during the presentation I wrote down, the anxiety went to about 2, because I knew I had time. I knew I had done what she wanted to be done. She wanted to tell the church she loved them. She wanted to tell each one of those people she loved the church. She worked in the church. She always had. I just thought about everything that she might want to say. And right towards the end, I got it all done, and that's why I broke. And luckily, I was able to pull it back together and finish. My anxiety broke down. It went back down today. It's something like that. I'm not going to classify anymore because I already screwed up last time. I'm a five. Let's just leave it at a five. Can I read one verse? Sure. Um, tailing on Jason reading uh, more in chapter one. And look at the last verse, verse 51. Uh, you, know, you saw me under the fig tree, and Jesus said, Oh, well, you know, you'll see more than the, I, I can see more than that. And verily, verily, I say to you, Hereafter ye, that's us, shall see heaven open and the angels of God ascending and descending upon the Son of Man. He's saying we're going to see that, aren't aren't we? That's amazing. That's quite a vision. And I'm asking also you guys, what what does it mean God is ascending and descending Angels of God ascending and descending on the Son of Man. Is, is he like a ladder? Is, is, is the Son of Man a ladder that the angels... It's, it's a reference to Genesis 28, 10 through 15. It's, that's the Jacob's ladder. Oh, the Jacob's ladder. Oh. So he's, he's telling him that and because he probably also knows that he would know that. Right? All right. Well, um, thanks again for the sharing. Good, good sharing, you guys. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you glad you're here. Really glad you're here. Um, all right. So, and I'll just, I'm going to share mine for 30 seconds because, well, I don't know, maybe we'll go that. Um, because it's going to be what we continue to do. So, if you remember when we started, John, we looked at the prologue and then we also looked at what we asked the question, and I think it was even around the time of asking the question, you know, why are you here and what are our purposes? Yeah, in fact, it was around that, and that's what that's when you, you know, gave that answer that we talked about. Um, and I was asking that question, what's the purpose of this book, and where do we find it? And what's neat about John is the purpose is explicitly stated. You don't have to question what the purpose is, because John states that purpose, and he does it at the ending, which we will, 
you know, unless Jesus comes first, <laughs> we will get to. All right. Um, and this is this is what he said. He says in John twenty thirty. Now Jesus did many other signs in the presence of the disciples, which were not written in this book. And then he says why he wrote this book, which is for us today, because but these are written so that you, all of us, may believe that Jesus is the Christ. But not he doesn't just put a period there. So he says that we all come to that initial faith in Jesus to believe in him. But then he says, continues and says, the Son of God, and that by believing, you may have life in his name. And that's what we started with. We started by the whole idea of death. And we end with what Jesus is saying is, he's written all this that we may have pistis. And I don't know if you ever thought about why do we have pistis, which is believe. That's the Greek word for believe. It's because it's through that that we have real life that eternal life. And I think the fascinating thing to me about John that I never knew when we started reading this was that John's the only gospel that uses the verb throughout the entire entire John. Every time pistis is mentioned, it's in the verb form, which is always an action. It's always something that we do. And for John, it's not just about that initial belief, it's, but it's why we do this every Tuesday night, is to keep unbelieving, keep unbelieving, keep unbelieving. And so John says that verb form 98 times in John. When you look at Matthew and Mark, it's like 10 times. So his thing throughout, one of his many things that we talked about today, throughout is to keep unbelieving. And that's what, you know, I hope that we're going to continue to do as we go, as we now will hit John 14 through 17, which again, if you get a chance, read that as many times as you can in the next few weeks. Because it is just, um, it's just, it, to me, it's convicting, it's beautiful, and I think we're going to just learn a lot about the heart of you. When this just started off, did you say, was it believe it as name? What was it about his name? You said, what was the scripture? Believe it as oh, yeah. name? Well, it says that, that these are written so you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, that by believing you may have life in his name. Yeah. yeah when you said that, it, it just popped into mind um, a password on a computer. Hmm. Think about it. You can't get in to somebody's computer unless you know exactly. So think of all the people who are going to be like, Trying to different passwords. <laughs> I mean, to believe in his name, yeah. it's just there's... There's only one name above all names, which is the name of Jesus, Jesus Christ. Yeah. I've also heard that peaceless is not only believe, but having allegiance to, right? Exactly. So it's not, it's not a, a Gnostic kind of, okay, I believe, I know, a, a knowledge, but it's, but it's an allegiance to... Christ, right? Exactly. And it's, it's, so it's, it's, it's not the head just, knowledge, yeah. it's, it's the, exactly, it's the allegiance. I remember one time I actually said what you just said in a sermon, and um, Eric was hearing it because I was using the, the contrast, that, it, that word pistis is almost always used in Greek for a um, military commander and the person underneath it, you know, that you have pistis in the one who you're giving your authority of your life to. Which is what you had, he had to do. That's what the whole military force is about, is, you know, the, the ranks and everything. 
Um, but no, you're right. Have you read that book on allegiance? Um, yeah, which is really, really good on how that's one of the prime uses of what pistis means is actually allegiance to someone that you are going to follow and obey. You're on obey to. Yeah, that's good. The way the military handles that is Article 134. Conduct prejudicial to the good order and discipline of the service. Yeah, no, he's telling me that with you. <laughs> <laughs> Permission to buzz the tower. Permission to deny All right, let me, let me pray. I'll let us go. Heavenly Father, we just, uh, I just thank you, Lord, for this night and for just the sharing. I thank you for the work and just, um, I think the, we talked about witness tonight and just a witness of Brent and what he has gone through is to, I know to me and to all of us, Lord, just the ways in which you have worked in his mind and worked in his faith. And I especially pray for his mom. It's your mom, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. I especially pray for his mom, Lord, that the type of peace that Brent is experiencing, I pray for her, Jesus's really promise, which is blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. And I just pray, Lord, that she will experience your comfort, your peace, Lord. And, uh, we just pray for Bruce, who's in uh, Israel right now with his wife, Linda, and just that you continue to um, watch um, watch over them, protect them, and for, and if I can remember, all right, how did he say his name? Orion, or Orion, 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 who I think is in Ukraine now. Yes. I think he's gone back to Ukraine. We also pray, Lord, that you will protect him and return both of them safely, Lord. Be with us over these next couple weeks, Lord. We love you. I think about what Jason just said, love. We love you, Lord, and may this, over these next few weeks, we learn to love others as you have loved us. In Jesus' name, Lord. Amen. 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 Thank you.